welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire and Evan Ginsberg. Evan Ginsberg, will you please introduce our guest? Absolutely. He's my friend, Michael Monty from the Notorious Monty and the Pharaoh. How are you, Mike? Thanks, guys, for inviting me. Pleasure meeting you, uh, Russell and uh, Buddy. And uh, Evan, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. I miss you, man. I miss your face. Haven't seen yeah, you in a long yeah. time, bro. Yeah, we were at the same station for uh, several years, and we both moved on to uh, bigger and better things. And tell us how Monty and Farrow's doing right about now. Uh, we're really doing well. Uh, we're picking up a lot of traction. We're on uh, three cable channels right now, obviously on social media, YouTube, and we've been picked up from the RTF Sports Network, where we become their anchor show on Fridays from uh, 6 to 7 p.m. and uh, replays on Monday from 10 to 11. So, um, you know, Jimmy and myself, you know, take this opportunity to thank Evan, who uh, is the guy that actually got the ball rolling with us. Uh, we, as, we, as Evan said, we were in a very small studio together and uh, Evan kind of got us advanced in the wrestling world. So we owe a lot of credit to Mr. Evan Ginsberg for sure. Oh, that's so how did wrestling? I grew up on it. Um, I met Jimmy Farrow um, in junior high. Quick story. He, we were at the school bus. He was talking to a friend about professional wrestling. And I slapped him in the back of the head. And I'm like, who watches professional wrestling? That stuff is terrible. And I became friends with him. And then uh, quickly he got me into professional wrestling where uh, I discovered the magnificent Morocco and Sergeant Slaughter and the Cobra Clutch Challenge. And uh, we both gained a hatred for Mr. Bob Backlund, which we now truly love and think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But uh, that's how it all started. And uh, I continued watching wrestling into the Hulk Hogan years and uh, till now. And, and Mike, you've interviewed some of the biggest names in the business and the history of the business. Who are some of your favorite interviews? For myself, as a pure wrestling fan, would have been Barry Windham. Um, you know, remember dating that first girl or, you know, doing something for the first time. I had butterflies having Barry Windham in studio. That was a total honor. Um, I've had so many stars. It's been an honor, you know, for, you know, the first one that was brought in was Evan. You brought in Greg Valentine. That that was Jimmy's favorite wrestler. We grew up yeah. on Greg Valentine. And, yeah. you know, all these guys... Um, they made a difference in people's lives. In fact, we just interviewed Virgil today. Um, everybody remembers Virgil. And I don't think that guy gets enough credit for being as influential as he was in the industry. Uh, you know, we were talking about how he was the Elizabeth of the, for the million dollar man. You know, he made the million dollar man complete. So um, it's always an honor to have all these wrestlers on and give us the opportunity to interview them and put our spin on it. Uh, what they've changed people's lives. They've changed self and partner's life for sure. Um, so uh, what would you say was like a really early influence to get you to do this podcast? And what, what made it's you a TV show. Oh, the it's, TV a, show. it's now a TV show. Thank you, Evan. Um, I was asked by some guy that was doing a podcast to come on and as just as a guest, I don't know, even know how he got my name. I went on as a bucket list thing and uh, I 
did fairly well and they asked me to come on again and then uh jimmy who i had not seen my partner in maybe 10 years caught me on the internet found my number called me and then we started bringing jimmy on the show and then me and jimmy always had this friendship and we started kind of taking over this gentleman's show which probably wasn't fair enough and we decided to go out on our own and we went to another station where we met evan so it was something out of fun that ended up gaining legs. Um, and I would say solely due to my partner. I mean, he, uh, he, uh, he's entertaining to say the least and, uh, he, you know, he keeps the ball rolling, but yeah, that's how it, that, that's how it basically started going. Um, and so what do you feel doing now? Have you ever wanted to be part of an actual wrestling federation or have you actually been part of a wrestling federation? No, I haven't. Uh, you know, again, maybe when I was younger, um, I'm a fairly big guy. So uh, and I was into bodybuilding for a long time. There was a point in my mind in my mind that I always thought about wrestling, but I really was a football guy and a baseball guy. And I was an amateur wrestler. Um, I was pretty good at athletics. Uh, when I look back now, I wish maybe I would have given it a shot considering uh some of the stuff I'm seeing going on now, I'm like, yeah, hey, you know what? Maybe I could have been a, you know, a ECW uh, job enhancement guy or, or something at that level. And uh, yeah, if I could turn back time, I definitely would have done it. Um, it certainly takes major talent. The, these guys, these guys have it all. The ones that do well, they know how to speak well, they know how to run their gimmick. And, and most of the time they know how to wrestle and they know how to enter or they, or they know how to entertain. So, you know, yeah, if I could turn back time, I would have done it. Um, I'm always envy envious of Evan. Evan has uh, turned his life into a somewhat of a dream, right? He got to be uh, associate producer, probably one of the greatest movies, in my opinion, that was ever made. And this isn't an Evan love fest, Evan. I'm just calling it like I see it, right? Um, he created 350 Days, which I find to be one of the finest wrestling documentaries ever made. I've got a list of favorites, um, that being one of them. So, yeah, um, I wish I wish I would have maybe turned down a different road and tried something different for sure. What would you have been? What, what would what, what would your uh, gimmick have been? Uh, uh, I'm not so sure, man. I, I you know, athletically, I, I don't know if I would have been a good enough wrestler. Like, but uh, I definitely would have been a heel. I definitely not would. I would not have been a face for sure. You can't make a face out of this. So I definitely would have been a heel. Um, but as gimmick wise, who knows? I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, when I was younger, maybe I thought I was a pretty boy. So I, 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 I kind of thought I was like a Shawn Michaels type of guy, but nah, not really. I don't know, man. You know what? I never went that. That's a pretty tricky question. I really never went that deep. What, what would your finisher have been? My finisher? I don't know. I probably would have went with the pile driver, man. I, I always loved Morocco's, uh, the, the, the tombstone pile drive. The, well, it was a tombstone pile driver, right? That's really what it was. So they just called it a different name. I was big on Morocco, man. I mean, that guy, that guy had so much talent. It was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. It's uh, it's funny when they made him a face. It, it, it just didn't, it just didn't carry over very well. But uh, he, at the time, he had me glued to the TV. In fact, um. I would think before I really started getting into really heavy weightlifting, 
wrestlers influenced my life because they were so boisterous and loud and look at me and it was so big and strong and something that you you wanted to achieve right you like i wanted to be as big as a wrestler i wanted to feel that way and uh that's what that's what disappoints me about wrestling today right it's like there's too many regular people out there and i'm sorry i understand that people can wrestle but there's more to the in my opinion to the wrestling game than just wrestling so uh, you know, I say it all the time. I don't want to watch a guy who I feel like I could walk into a ring and just beat up legitimately, right? I want to be scared of the wrestler that, you know, I could tell you some wrestling events when I was in the army, I had wrestlers chasing me around the arena. I was literally scared of them, right? I ran into Haku at a bar when I was in the army and offered him to buy him a drink. And he looked at me like he wanted to bite my face off and it scared me enough, but like, you were scared of Haku, man. You were scared of these guys. Some of these guys now, I'm just, you know, I don't know. It's it, it kind of ruining the sport, in my opinion, but that's okay. Just my yeah. opinion. That's, that's an interesting take on that. Um, have you been watching wrestling recently with the empty arenas? And, and what are your thoughts about that? I watch I watch pretty regularly for the show, right? I um, am I totally entertained by it? No, I think it's pretty it's pretty bad. But I have to be fair, right? It's they're trying to entertain to the level that they can entertain at, right? You know, we don't know how baseball is going to be without fans. We're going to see, we're going to see how football is without fans. So it could be equally as bad. Do I think the product is good? Absolutely not. And a lot of times when they do an angle that's actually pretty good and there's no fans there, I go, why are you wasting this right now? Don't waste it. Save it. Hopefully COVID will be done with and then you can use this. But it's pretty bad right now. Mike, like yourself, I, I've done God knows how many interviews over the years. Have you ever had the experience where there was a hero of yours? Whether face or heel doesn't matter. And you were disappointed with the interview? Or vice versa, somebody you were never really a fan of, and the interview was tremendous. I've had both experiences. I, w I would say this is most of the interviews, they, every wrestler has had their positives and negatives. Um, the one disappointment I had now, he gave a great interview, but you know how you feel like maybe just someone's not a good person? Um, I felt Scott Hall wasn't a good person. When I was talking to him privately, he just didn't seem like he was a good person. He seemed very arrogant. And, you know, again, I one of the things I think one of my strengths is I can judge. I judge people pretty quickly and I could tell if they're good or bad. Um, I just didn't I didn't get a good feeling from Scott Hall. Everybody else, I got to be honest with you, whether they were blowing smoke or whatever, they they've all been gentlemen. I can't really complain about anyone. Have I been amazed by someone? Uh, probably the most amazing interview we had had to be uh, Gangrel. Gangrel, I didn't know what we were going to do with. And this Great guy gave us an interview like, you know, we call it, we laugh, we call it, you know, he just Gangrelled this interview. It was unbelievable. You know, I first a couple of shows with Gangrel back in uh, California Championship Wrestling. And he is, like you say, class act. Super nice guy, really fun to hang out with. Everything that you probably felt from him during your interview is really who he is as a person, also backstage and behind the scenes, too. So, wonderful. I, I, I will tell you the most amazing 
thing that's happened to us with the show. So we were doing the show and we were just doing the show and they started picking up momentum. But, you don't, you know, you don't know if people really like it or they don't like it or whatever the case is. And we're not looking to be stars. We're, we're both in our 50s, but we're looking to make a difference. Right. Um, I think I'm going to quote Evan from when I first met Evan and we started doing this. Um, he's like, you're making history when you're long gone. This is, you know, people will see you forever. And the one time I realized this could be for real is um, you all know Hillbilly Jim, right? Oh, yeah. Hillbilly Jim was on Hillbilly Jim was on a show with us and, you know, came off the show. He said, great interview. Best thing we've ever done. Uh, thank you so much. But, I you know, you take it with a grain of salt. You don't know. Right. Who knows what they what their motives are to say certain things. Billy Jim got went out of his way to find my phone number and called me like three weeks later to tell him it was the best show he's ever been on in his career. And I was like, you know, I work a lot. and I was tired. I was like, OK, yeah, whatever. Thanks. 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 Whatever. Hang up the phone. Later do I find out that Hillbilly Jim is a multimillionaire who doesn't need to do this. Who right? does radio. He knows good radio. Exactly. And. Then I said, oh, my God, this is real. And we've had guys like Sandman said, you know, wow, you guys made my day today and other ones. And uh, that I find humbling, you know, that I find humbling. I have I have a mini Hillbilly Jim story, which is that um, back in 1992, Hillbilly Jim visited my friend's video store and he was the Coliseum video representative. So he just went around the country just, you know, putting up big pictures of himself and, you know, WWF merchandise there. And he put me on the phone with, he said, look, Hillbilly Jim's in my store. You got to talk to him. So he put him on the phone and I started gushing about, oh, I remember when you were Harley Davidson and you, you know, all your stuff in the Mid-South. And he said, well, gosh, man, you, you, gosh, Russ, you know more about my career than I do. So, you know, he was a really jovial soul very very i'll funny. tell you guys i'll tell you guys an opposite story i go into i go into a record store in queens to look at the records the owner knows me because i'm a, a big music guy and he goes bubba ray dudley's over there don't talk to him he doesn't like to be bothered and i'm like look i, I could care less about bubba ray dudley you know it's like if the guy wants to be left alone, it's no problem. I don't need like a warning, you know. So uh, yeah, some some guys are outgoing, and other guys it's just like you know. Well, let, let me let me ask you guys this: You guys have been in the industry a very long time, and you've known. Do you become numb to these guys at this point? You know, I can remember the day we met Greg Valentine, and we had butterflies in our stomach, and now it's like this is business as usual. They're just regular guys. Are you guys numb to it like that at this point? No. For me, if it's a childhood hero, like you said, Morocco, I thought Morocco was one of the greatest heels of all time. Top 10. I mean, as great as anybody. I would mark out for Morocco. If it was somebody who's bigger today, I would not mark out because I'm not as big a fan. You follow my logic? If it's somebody that means something to me, I would mark out. Let, let's say, for example, uh, Clint Eastwood or, you know, some star that I grew up on, you know, Gene Hackman. I would mark out, you know, definitely, definitely. But here, here, here lies the problem, right? We're all older. So we remember these guys when we were younger because they've influenced our lives. 
I think we forget as, you know, wrestling analysts or, you know, talk show hosts or whatever you want to call us, or even just a wrestling fan, you know, these young kids, you know, Braun Strowman's their hero, you know, and as bad as we may think certain things are, these kids think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread because these are their heroes, you know, and I, you know, I always try to keep myself directed there. Do I like today's wrestling? No, not necessarily, but I understand the fact that I'm also 50 something years old and I can't remember a Braun Strowman like I do a, uh, you know, a Don Morocco. However, I will tell you that I am a lover of women. So I will always love women's wrestling. They will entertain me forever because they are women, right? And they're attractive to me. And now they've become great wrestlers on top of it. And I enjoy the women's product. I don't necessarily enjoy the men's product. Well, you can see a great wrestler, woman, man, anything? Woman, woman wrestler. Charlotte Flair is the greatest woman wrestler ever to step into a ring, in my opinion. And I've watched... I've got, yeah. a, I've got a differing opinion with you. Go ahead. Sarah Del Rey. Sarah Del Rey is the toughest woman to ever step into a ring. And I know because I trained with her. I got started with her in 2000 APW. And she used to unload on me all the time as she was training to be a valet. She used to beat the hell out of me because I, she was still learning how to like pull her punches and how to do low blows without hitting people. Right in the junk. Well, that's how she learned was by hitting me in the yeah. junk on a repeated right. basis. So I, I'm saying Sarah Del Rey, and she's the one that's involved in developing women's talent in the WWE right now. So I'm, I'm going on record with Sarah Del Rey as my favorite. Well, I always like Gail Kim. Gail Kim's a great choice. I, I, I love Gail Kim too. I think she was incredible, but. You know, I, I thought, you know, again, on the other hand, I'm not a big fan of Becky Lynch, right? I never thought she had anything. I don't think she has great mic skills. I never understood where that push even came from. I also worked a lot with, uh, with Bailey when she was uh, developing here in Northern California. And when okay. she, uh, she worked some shows at Wrestling for Charity. And she is a genuinely really, really nice girl. She's very, very nice. I mean, she's worked very hard to be where she's at. And then I don't know if you remember Susumi Sakai that oh, yeah, well great. over in Japan. And she's also a friend of mine. And she is as she's probably the toughest person I know as far as like male or female, as far as being able to take just a raw amount of punishment and still keep going. I don't know anyone else that's had as long a career as she's had taking as much punishment as she's had ridiculous yeah. yeah but let me ask you this as great a wrestlers as they are does that translate the dollars that translate the fans sitting in the seats to go watch these these wrestlers like i, I understand i understand the pureness that you guys speak about look I, I watch your show every week right and i always respect but i you know there's a there's a in to me there's a fine line between being really good at what you do and actually bringing dollars to a company you know you know what i'm saying well, I mean, McDonald's makes billions of bucks and their burgers, you know, quote unquote, suck, but so many people eat them, you know, so there, there is a certain level of like, yeah, quality doesn't always matter is if you can give people what they want. It doesn't it isn't always quality that they're looking for.
Well, so there there lies the artist or the businessman, right? So it's to me, it's like, okay, would you rather be a small burger company where there's a few people that really enjoy it because it's just that great of a burger? Or would you rather be McDonald's who like, okay, yeah, probably not the best quality burger, but enough people love it that they'll eat it. That's where the WWE is right now. They definitely have such a name-associated product that people turn it on and they watch it, even though there isn't really the quality of matches there that, say, maybe you'll see in AEW. At least I feel that the quality of matches, the action in the ring, I'm enjoying in AEW a lot more than I'm enjoying with the WWE. And maybe you have a differing opinion to that. I'll, I'll agree with you. I think AEW actually is a little more entertaining. Um, but then again, I wasn't this pure wrestling fan. I got to be honest with you. I don't I love old school wrestling. Right. That's what I grew up on. You know, and I'm going to call Hogan era Hulk Hogan's era old school wrestling. OK, even though I know it goes a lot further than that. But my point is this. When I watch those old school matches, I have a hard time. Because they're not great matches, right? There's a lot of stomping and arm bars and kicking. But it was everything that led up to those matches that made you want, like, go crazy when I was watching Madison Square Garden Network in my living room, running around like a maniac, watching what I can. I mean, I actually looked at a video um, back to Bob Backlund. And it's funny, when Bob Backlund loses that title to the Iron Sheik, and they do this interview with Lord Alfred Hayes with Arnold Skolan behind them. And, you know, he said, heard back. I dare any wrestling fan to go watch that interview. If that's not one of the greatest interviews that was ever had in any kind of wrestling organization, I give Backlund props. And I forget that. I forget what led all to that because you kind of lose traction with everything that goes on, right? You forget about those errors. But I guess my point to you guys is this. It's great that there's great wrestling matches, but the storylines are awful. So there's nothing that leads you to believe into wanting to carry on. And that's the bigger problem. And that's why I kind of give the, the, again, Evan's not a huge fan of Randy Orton. I wasn't a huge fan of Randy Orton, but personally now I think Randy Orton's giving some of his best work he's ever done right now, whether it's a storyline or whatever, there's actually a storyline that you can get involved in. And then I, that goes back to my original statement of saying, guys, why are you wasting such great storylines when there's no fans. That's uh, all that's an appropriate point that you make. I mean, when you talk about, you know, what the, the, the in-ring product that we have now, especially in the death of kayfabe, and you also have this chronic no-sell mentality behind stuff. I mean, when we were watching as younger folks, everything built up to a finisher. You know, everything built up to a finishing move. Now you basically have one finishing move following another finishing move, following another finishing move, and nobody sells. And then you have a one-two shoulder kick up. How many shoulders off the mat do you possibly see in one match now? Whereas in the older times, you know, when a guy went for a pin, usually you'd see maybe one or two false pins and then that would be it for a whole for a whole match. Now you'll see one or two false pins happening probably per minute in a number of, of situations. So why do you think that's happening? Um, short attention span, I think, yeah. and and the, the the fact that they're they're trying to cater to people that can't watch, you know, anything without it being 
over the top and super spectacular every possible second. And and Alice Cooper has a saying that it, when everything shouts, nothing does. Yeah, it's great. And, yeah, and 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 it's sort of that's where we've got we. I don't know how you dial back the action. And what I've seen from the WWE is how they'll do it is by having promos that are 20 minutes long, you know, and that's so that that's your so you were answering the question right there. They're not playing to the, you know, to the Russell Jackman's or the Evan Ginsburg's or the Mike Monty's anymore. They're playing to the audience that doesn't have time to sit there and watch a 20 minute arm bar. OK, they they don't again, they won't even extend a storyline. But again, they're playing to the masses. This isn't the only sport that does it. I don't, you know, I don't know if you're a fan of football, but I mean, defense is nothing anymore, right? It's nonstop offense. You can't play defense. They don't want to see defense. You know, baseball, the same thing, right? It's like you don't want to see, you know, the, the the manager on the mound anymore. They're counting how much time you're at a mound, right? The expansion, the, the attention span is not there, and it will never change. If we're looking, we're looking for a rainbow that's never coming back. Mike, well, Mike, has there ever been um, someone that you've been dying to interview that you haven't at this point? Yeah, um, I think. Well, I really want to interview Bob Backlund. I mean, that's that's definitely a milestone. And uh, I guess I would shut down the show if I ever had the opportunity to interview Hulk Hogan. I mean, some of my other heroes are gone at this point. I mean, you know, if I could turn back time, I would have loved to have Roddy Piper. Uh, God, I would have loved to have Jimmy Snooker. I mean, you know, we were going to have Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson in studio together. And unfortunately, Rocky passed. And, you know, so that's the other thing. You know, they're starting to fall by the wayside now. And it's like, you know, you, you, we're losing opportunities to even meet these these gentlemen at this point. Hmm. And so do you feel like um, there's enough appreciation by today's modern wrestlers for what these previous wrestlers have achieved? Or do you think that they feel like they're, they've been on their own? They don't really need to give the tribute back to a guy like Rocky Johnson or that they don't owe much to a superstar Billy Graham for setting the stage because they have it hard enough on their own right now. I, I think it's just like anything else uh, in sports in general. Uh, they don't know the history of the sport. And it's my opinion. I don't really know. I'm not talking to these people. But uh, from what I, what I think is that they don't know the history of the sport, just like football players don't know the history of the sport, right? They're just playing the sport for what they're in it. They're in it now, right? So, um, I mean, that's my opinion. I'm not so sure the wrestling fan even knows who superstar Billy Graham is anymore. I mean, I think if you ask a 14-year-old who's superstar Billy Graham, they're not going to be able to tell you. They're not going to be able to tell you about back when they... With um, 350 days, um, I was associate producer, not the creator, by the way, but with 350 days, uh, people look at the ad and they go, that's Hulk Hogan. And I go, no, that's superstar Billy Graham. They don't know. You're right. Some people just don't know. A lot of 14-year-olds might not even know who Hulk Hogan is. That's right. I think it stops at Stone Cold and The Rock at this point. That's where wrestling begins with most of the fans now. John I don't Cena. know what the demographic yeah. Well, I think John Cena gets a bad rap. I, I always consider John Cena the, the, the last great professional wrestler. That is it. After him, that's where it all stopped. 
He was the last one that we can identify with as being these last. I do love Luchasaurus, man. Oh, my God. I do love Luchasaurus. I'm glad you brought him up. I do love him. And Jungle Boy. There, there have been some some great kids that are coming up. I mean, you know, as I said, like some of the people like Bailey and, 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 and we've seen some other talent work their way in. And I like to see how at least, you know, AEW is working in some of the new Japan talent more effectively um, than the WWE is. I mean, the WWE brings in the new Japan talent and just squashes them or just mishandles them so badly, uh, especially like Asuka, if you wanted to, you know, point that, you know, in a way, or, you know, when they had uh, uh, Gallows and, and Anderson, you know, they just really, that whole, the opportunity to recreate the Bullet Club just completely, you know, fell apart once they brought in the guys all into the WWE. Well, I think that's by design, right? You don't want to recreate something. He he wants, or Vince's creative team wants to create their own, right? It's all about marketing. And then again, you know, I, I, I don't want to differ with you too much on this, but I feel like, you know, you got to make it on your own a little bit too. I mean, Gallus and Anderson, I don't know. They didn't really do much for me. Whether it was a WWE writing or not, I don't know. But um, even when they put them with styles, I I don't know. They just didn't. They didn't. They didn't really do anything for me. I, again, I don't know. I, you know, all will, only time will tell, right? Um, you know, when they show up, who are we with now? They're going to TNA. What they call TNA now, or whatever. Impact. 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 Yeah. So only time will tell. They can make a difference in impact. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, you know. I went to Madison Square Garden. I'm sitting there. Gallows and Henderson come out. They sing a song with Elias, and then, that's it for the night. They didn't even wrestle. They were singing. I, I wanted to put a gun to my head, okay? Because these guys were so great in New Japan. I mean, you know, sometimes WWE just won the talent. I think everybody... Any organization squanders talent. You can look at WCW. They had all the talent in the world. They squandered it. But maybe it's too many, too much, too many people. I mean, look, Evan, we, we've gone back and forth here. You know, guys, I'm purely a WWE guy, right? I grew up in the Northeast. I love the WWE. Uh, it's like almost like baseball, right? I'm a Yankee fan. I don't like the Red Sox. Um, you know, did I watch WCW? Sure, I watched Georgia Championship Wrestling all the time. But when they used to come up northeast, like I'll tell you, when Evan used to tell me that he used to go see Ric Flair against Steamboat at Meadowlands, I used to be like, you're a traitor, man. You're a traitor. You cannot go to an NWA card, man. You're, you're the guy. Well, have sympathy for me because um, out here we were in AWA territory. So there we go. mostly got a lot of, you know, uh, uh, General Adnan Al Casey versus uh, Crusher Brit Jerry Blackwell as far as like main event matches go or when the WWF would come around. We, we never, the NWA rarely had any appearances here in Northern California. It was uh, AWA territory. So that's my point. So you grew up on it. You grew up on AWA. So were you itching for the WWF or the NWA to come to your town? Or, or yes. did you feel like yes. you had a loyalty to the AWA? Oh, I wanted the NWA to show up here so badly. 
I would have done anything. I, I still wish the NWA would do West Coast shows. I, I think that, they, that that's, they've always really seeded that area over first the AWA and now the WWE and the WWF, WWE. They've, they pretty much surrendered that entire territory. We never got to see Ric Flair except when he was with the, the once he moved over. To the WWE, we never got to see Dusty Rhodes until he was, you know, the American Dream. So, like a lot of these guys in their prime, we missed out on unless they were in the AWA. But like when the Road Warriors would come to town with the AWA, that place was packed because we knew that was the one time we were going to get to see like a really top-notch wrestling act. You know, uh, uh, the, the, the wrestling team that was there that everybody was talking about. Otherwise, we were having to watch Greg Gagne. You know, go you know, sixty minute Ironman match with, you know, with Jim Brunzel, you know, against uh, 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 like the medics or something like that. Was, sure. Uh, yeah, the AWA matches really let something to be desired. You know. So. Yeah, but you know, you you did have all the top talent went through there, right? You had Adonis and Ventura, right? They were there for a while. You had the Freebirds. I mean, I you know, again, as a WWF guy or WWE guy. I was so into the Freebirds against the Road Warriors in the AWA, but it fell so flat for me. Every time I caught it, I was like, man, they're just making a mess of this. Like that, to me, could have been one of the greatest feuds of all time. We just, <laughs> well, it did continue into WCW when the Legion of Doom faced uh, uh, Ronnie Garvin. and uh, Not Ronnie Garvin, uh, 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 Jimmy Garvin and uh, Michael Hayes. As the team, yeah. Are you still there? We're we're having a little I'm, bit of video difficulty. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Can you see me? Okay. Yeah, it just yeah. froze for a second, but um, yeah, no. I mean, it, but you're right. It wasn't the same with Bam Bam Terry Gordy in there as part of the the whole scene. That was the Freebirds when they were really, you know, one of the best tag teams of all time. But they they certainly. I wonder how they're going to deal with uh, all the uh, Southern. Stars and bars flags when the WWE wants to release anything related to the uh, Freebirds and all the uh, all the other guys from the the old Deep South and their their uh, displays. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they'll release anything because you know what? It's not going to sell, right? No, like we said, they're not selling to anybody anymore. It's young kids don't know who these guys are, right? So it's like why even wait? Why even have that kind of pressure on yourself? Just don't put it on your network. Don't sell anything with it. You know, it's unfortunate because I do think that there is a certain love of wrestling history that people, once they do get involved and they do start watching wrestling, they're like, well, how did this all kind of come from? And especially because everything new was old once. And so, you know, when you talk about superstar Billy Graham and seeing, you know, hey, he's doing everything that Hulk Hogan was doing. You know, four years ago, four years before he did it, you know, and, and when people see that, you know, you see a lot of other wrestlers borrowing from like Dusty Rhodes and everything that he does and the way he addresses crowds and stuff like that, that is where we'll get a better product from learning off of what made these other wrestlers great as opposed to just trying to launch out on your own and what we but do they, they, They've got to have that natural talent. They, you know, we say it on the show all the time. They have to have it. You know what it is? My wife who can't stand professional wrestling, right? Because, you know, we've been together 20 something years and she's sick of me even talking about it or looking at it. Right. We're watching 
I don't know, a documentary on something. Uh, I don't know, I forget which documentary. It wasn't 350 Days, but it was, a, it was another documentary. And Superstar Billy Graham, they just showed a flash of Superstar Billy Graham flexing his 24-inch arms. And she says to me, who's that? That's it. When someone that doesn't watch wrestling sees that and goes, who's that? That's it. There's no one that has it anymore. There's no one that makes you want to watch, you know, when the glass used to break and Stone Cold used to come out, you'd get, you know, at 30 something years old, the hair on my arms used to stand up when Hogan came out or, you know, I'm sorry, guys. I mean, I know, you know, Evan, I've just discussed this, too. But when Andre faces off against Hogan, no matter I've seen them fight a million times, right back in the day at the Long Island Arena. But that matchup and them staring at each other, my heart was going crazy, man. You, It's not it's not happening anymore. We're never going to get to that point anymore. They're not making those type of stars or there's not enough talent out there that someone has that type of stars. As great as AJ Styles is, if AJ Styles was a wrestler back in the 80s, I don't think he's anything special. It's very hard to have that perfect combination of charisma, talent, gimmick, great promos. Morocco is, is one of the few, you know, Rick, Rick Flair, you know, it, it, it's few and far between where you put all those pieces together and uh, you're right today, you know, you I mean, there, there's great, great wrestlers with charisma in Japan, like an Okada, but um, I don't see, too, I don't see too many on American TV where I go, wow, I must pay to see that match. And where do you think that leads the future of wrestling? You know, because maybe it's eating itself in a lot of ways and becoming so just for the super fan that it's lost that sort of mass appeal that it had one day, once in the 80s and, and early 90s. I think it leaves it in really bad shape. Um, honestly, like our show's based around uh, actually... You know, it's about new wrestling, but a lot of it has to do with old wrestling. It has to do us with reminiscing about old wrestling and interviewing older stars. Uh, we've had some newer stars on, but um, I think the I think wrestling is looking at a really troublesome future. Huh. You know, you think it's bad now. I envision wrestling to be almost like a video game. Um where, you know, a guy gets charged up by a battery, like, you know, after 10 minutes. I mean, look, I understand they're doing what they have to do, but how do you come back from a pay-per-view where you threw people off the top of a building? I know we're suspending disbelief, but you don't come back for that type of stuff. Or a guy gets buried in a graveyard. You know, there's there's this campy, sticky stuff out there, but there comes a point where you can't go that far. Interesting. No, oh, that's an interesting point. We haven't had a lot of people bring up. And yet, you know, what's the alternative? I mean, I felt for a while the NWA was putting together an interesting kind of counter counter product by having something that was so studio based and really bringing it back to the the way things looked like back in the Crockett promotion times and i really liked that that was something that i actually enjoyed quite a bit and the, the corniness of the question mark and and you know uh the the fact that the the interviews were really you know no more than five minutes long 
and that they had you know only an hour show. I think that was one thing that I would really I always talk about on this show is that when we were younger, finding wrestling was was kind of a chore, and at best you got two to three hours of it a week. And now that you know you have just two or three hours a night, sometimes every night of the week, you're close to it now. Um, when you add in Impact, when you add in uh, 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 the uh, NXT shows, and you add in New Japan, you know you get a lot of wrestling per week. So it's exclusivity is a real problem. I, it would be great to... What I liked about the NWA is it's one-hour format. It really made you get to the point. You didn't show replays of what just happened. You don't have the commercial breaks while the wrestling is going on and shrinking the wrestling into a tiny little box while, you know, Geico Lizard is trying to hawk you something. Yeah. You know, it, it, the, all they everything would fit within, you know, whatever time limit they had. And and I think that the, that sort of thing, that sort of the cheapening of like, well, you know what? Wrestling is important to, to will be as important to you as, you know, uh, Flo and her, you know, insurance stuff is. That sort of like putting them side by side and saying, well, yeah, your attention will be just as equally divided between these two. I think it's a real problem for wrestling. It's really degraded it to a level where people don't feel they have to pay attention to what's going on in the ring because what's going on in the ring isn't important anymore. I think uh, there's a really great points, but I think we're missing that. Here's the facts. Times have changed, right? We're doing a interview over a computer out of three different locations. You don't have to watch wrestling the day it's on because you could catch it tomorrow on Roku or YouTube or Facebook, Right. It's not must see TV. That's that's where it's all lost. It's like you know you, you know you, you have to watch a football game, right? Because you want there's an ending, and you want to see that ending. Wrestling's predetermined and whatever, whatever. And again, there's no, like I said, there's no stars. There's no someone that you have to go watch anyway, right? So this is just this is a problem. COVID's a problem, certainly for everybody in this on this planet, but for wrestling, you there could be a there could be a legitimate point where wrestling, in my opinion, dies. If COVID goes into next year, even a billion-dollar company like the WWE, in my opinion, who knows? Maybe they just shut it down. Maybe not shut it down, but sell it off to Fox Network because they just can't support it anymore. I mean, they're living on these these television contracts. You think Fox, I don't know how long that's going to go for, but – you think anybody's going to renew for this type of stuff? It's drawing no ratings. And when I mean no ratings, a million do- a million people is not a lot of people nowadays. So it's a big problem. We may be talking about the history of wrestling a year from now or two. Wow. Uh, Mike, let me ask a question about the show. You guys, you guys basically come on like a tag team. You have hats and sunglasses. For the people that haven't seen it, you know, t- tell the audience about that. So, uh, you know, we, we decided to, you know, build some sort of format where we're a little, you know, gimmicky, right? So like a gimmick, you know, Jimmy Farrow, uh, you know, he's the Farrow and he wears a baseball hat backwards with a cigarette in his mouth and his sunglasses. That's, like <laughs> That's right. Almost. And then, you know, myself is myself under my name, but I wear a hat and glasses and 
you know, we wanted to build these cartoony characters and, uh, you know, something that we could actually market, you know, and see how that went. And, uh, you know, look, the show is based on two older guys who grew up as fans that have never been in the business like you two gentlemen have been. Right. We don't claim to ever been in the be in the business. We, you know, we never re- we worked for a wrestling organization. We are fans that paid our I forget what it cost back then, but, you know, to sit in Madison Square Garden every month or the Nassau Coliseum. And we idolize these guys and we love these guys and we wanted to be these guys. And at 50 something years old, now we're interviewing these guys that we wanted to be or we talk about wrestling as a fan and what we think. And at no point do we act like it's like we don't hold kayfabe or act like it's real. We don't prejudge. We say if we don't like something, but I certainly like I see a lot of broadcasters and podcasters saying, well, if I wrote or they should have did this. Listen, I'm not a writer. I can't you know, it's very easy to pick on someone's work. I can say whether I liked it or not, that's fine. But, you know, but everybody seems to think they can in this world now can do everybody else's job or they could have done it better. Let me tell you something. If you if you're a writer and you think you could have did it better, believe me, they would have hired you by now. And they haven't. So whether you think you could have done it better, obviously you can't. Or, you know, a lot of people, you know, if I ran the WWE, no, you're not running the WWE and you could open up your own independent thing like the NWA and let's see what you could do with that. Go get your investors and show me what you're worth. That's uh, that's my whole point. Everybody in this world now can do everything better than everybody else. And the show is based on this is wrestling. Talk from the heart as a fan. Some people hate it. A lot of people like it. We're building a pretty solid fan base. Sometimes we upset people. We say things, you know, look, are we done? With WWE homers, right, Evan? I mean, I got to say it right now. Me and Evan go back and forth about a lot of different things. And if you want to discuss that now, we can, Evan. That'd be great. You know, we have a belief. But the the one thing is I respect everybody's opinion, no matter what. Um, I'll be honest. I'm a big fan of Vince McMahon. I'm a big fan of his management style. I'm a big fan of the way he's run his business. I'm a big fan of the way he took his father's business and and, – and really just mowed all over everybody. And uh, there's a, there's a respect level. Do I think, do I feel bad for some of the people that this happened to? Yeah, sure I do. But again, just looking at Vince McMahon as the businessman, I, 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 uh, you know, you asked me who I'd want to interview. Vince McMahon is the guy I'd want to interview. Cause that's the guy that I probably have the most respect for in this business. And interestingly, interestingly, I would enjoy interviewing Vince McMahon because I think it's loathsome that during a pandemic, he made $177 million while, while laying off dozens of employees, keeping his kids, keeping his kids on payroll and family. And uh, for example, Carl Anderson said Triple H looked at him during contract negotiations and said, I look at you and I see your kids. And what if AEW doesn't last? I promise WWE will always be here. Six months later, mid-pandemic, got rid of him. So, you know, (laughs) 
it's not just about making money. These are people sacrificing their bodies. And uh, a lot of wrestlers do not end up well. And partly that's because there's no pensions, 401ks, or health benefits. This is a billionaire. So I love I love my Conti. I mean, but we totally disagree on Vince. Totally. Can I ask you this though, Evan? If you owned a company or ran a company and it was a just I don't care, whether it be a, a supermarket or a wrestling organization, and your children worked for you, do you and I'm asking you personally, do you think you would take care of your children before you took care of Mike Monty who worked for you? I think I would try to take care of everybody and for the children not to sacrifice one penny when they have multi-million dollar contracts as both performers and front office. And I'm sure wonderful benefits to boot. You know, I see the injustice of it. And I would want my kids to feel that they were better than somebody else just because they happen to be born to somebody you know, the, it's the, you don't live in a kingship, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Russell. I'm saying that you they feel better. What I'm saying is, you're the father. You own this company. You love your children, and you know what? So it's just a lot of different things in play here. Number two, the one thing we haven't discussed is this is a publicly traded company. Vince McMahon is the CEO of this company. His responsibility as a CEO is to the investors, not to the wrestlers, and not to the talent. His not job. To his kids. This is true. Yeah. Good point. That, that that is a great point. That being said, right. well, that, that's the thing is that I think that there's a certain level of this like untouchableness. If you're Vince, does work in a level of like you are his favorite, and then he'll let you get away with anything, or he doesn't like you. And everything you do is crap, and he, he'll get you out of this organization as fast as possible when he doesn't like you. And but isn't that, isn't that everybody in the real world? You have bosses that love you, and they turn a blind eye? Listen, there's a rule in business, in my opinion, right? It takes a lot. If, if someone likes you, it takes a lot of work to make them not like you. If they don't like you in the beginning, it takes a lot of work to make them like you. So the WWE is no different than the regular world. Vince McMahon is a human being just like yourself, me, Evan. Okay? Yes, you got value points. But again, his, he does have a responsibility to the investors. But here's, here's a point that, that the fans often neglect. Creative, the ironically named creative, their job is to find roles for these wrestlers to put on great angles, you know, have great matches, have things that we care about. What we were all agreeing on earlier is there's very little that we care about that we're emotionally invested in. So you can't just say this wrestler is on the bad list because, you know, creative ha doesn't have anything for them. That's creative's job. They were hired because they have the skills. So, you know, the, 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 the truth is somewhere in the middle. But just to say this guy's on the bad list and he, he sits there twiddling his thumbs and then is unceremoniously future endeavored, as they say, it's not quite fair to the wrestler. He or she has the skills. 
Do you, do you know that the WWE pays companies? I know the particular company that they pay that that sits there and follows the ratings and uh, everything that's going on. And if Russell, you come out for your little segment and it does very poorly, that's measured. And they have all these reports. And even live during a show, for example, if Evan was to come out and all of a sudden there was a spike, what they do is they bring Evan out again. And what happens is that's how they try to keep this production. They present these to advertisers, yada, yada, yada. But my point here is this. There's so many wrestlers in the WWE. There's not enough room and there's not enough time. And they're not talented enough that they could all go on at the same time. And honestly, in my opinion, they had no choice but to cut some of these people because they're not bringing any money from the live events. You know, then it, it, you know, they're suffering just like everybody else. So you're right about creative, Evan. It is their responsibility. But again, you know, I think back in the day when they made somebody dress up as Doink the Clown, it was up to Doink the Clown to make something out of that character, right? Whether they did it or not is up to them. I sat in Madison Square Garden. Steve Austin comes out as the ringmaster. Second or third match. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. You know, a year or two later, he's the biggest star in the world. So it's still up to creative. If, you go, if you're not going to let somebody be themselves, like AJ Styles is AJ Styles and it works. But if yeah. you're going to give somebody a stupid gimmick, it's on you. It's on you. WWE over the years has killed a lot of great wrestlers. You know, sure. Barry Windham, you know, uh, I mean, God, what they did to Terry Taylor, I cringe 30 years later. You know, Terry Taylor was up and coming in NWA. So, uh, so but, see, now I'm, I'm a huge Terry Taylor fan, but I, I'll, I'll challenge you with this. My belief is the Red Rooster could have been a good gimmick. My belief is he didn't believe in that gimmick. And he went out there and half-assed it. Nine, I was a big fan of him, and I really loved the Red Rooster. I got to be honest. I think he just didn't want to do it. And I saw him six months earlier in Philly with the NWA, and the guy was great <laughs> and climbing the ranks. So yeah, the TV title match I remember him having with Jake the Snake Roberts in Mid South mm-hmm. was was off the hook. That was a hell of a match. And I they just Vince didn't know what to do really with Terry Taylor. And I think that the Red Rooster was this. I felt also like like. Um, uh, uh, the Evan that it was a forced gimmick that it just wasn't something that was really him. I mean, it's you know, the, you know, you you want to find things that are really. That's one of the things as a manager I always tried to look to is to try to find out what is within the wrestler themselves that really motivates them and turn that into a character that they're that they feel comfortable with. Vince much more is like, okay, I'm gonna make you know uh, 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 Tony Atlas into Sava Simba. You know, because I want a big jungle warrior. You know, I'm going to make make crime time. You know, happen even though you know those guys aren't a perfect fit for each other. You know, at the time they they hadn't really worked with each other that well. And then you know, I'm and again with Gallows and Anderson, we go back to kind of where we started with having. Uh, you know, there's no doubt those two individuals are highly talented, but they really never got to show what they could do. In the WWE, would you agree with that? Yeah. They never had any matches where they showed really. I mean, they were up against like the Vikings, for God's sakes. You know, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna make a match of the Vikings look any good? 
No sometimes, sometimes you just have to let them wrestle. Just let them wrestle, you know? Yeah, I would like to see more of that, but we don't we don't let guys call anything in the rings anymore. You know, they they they, they this like twenty page list of all the moves that you can't do in the ring or all the things you can't say in the ring, and that that the wrestlers have this on the back of their heads. You know, if they make one mistake, that they're you know going to be off the card is gotten out of control. Wrestlers used to be able to think, okay, I can mess up in the ring, but I can bring this match back under control if I do this, I do that, you know, sure I missed the drop kick or I didn't get the signal here, but I can still call a decent enough match in the ring so that it's not going to be a disaster. But now they're under so much friggin' pressure that if it isn't done exactly as choreographed, that Vince is going to say, you're off the card, that I, these guys are now walking on eggshells or wrestling on eggshells, literally. And that's, I think, why the product has no spontaneity and no heart in it. That's, that's my take. I, I, again, I don't... Uh, how, much, how much influence do you think Vince McMahon has anymore anyway? Everybody keeps saying, oh, Vince this, Vince that. I don't even think he's running the thing anymore, to be honest with you. It's, it's his head booker. It's, you know... It was Heyman, and it's Triple H. I, I don't understand why Vince always gets the bad rap on this. Like, why is it Vince? I don't know how much. You know, I know some people in the WWE, and I don't know what kind of involvement he has with what goes on on the shows anymore. i got to be honest with you. Well, for example, he tired of Shayna Baszler. You know, they'll just stop a push. That. Well, did you think Baszler was going anywhere? Were you were you enthralled with her? Were like, oh man, I got to catch Baszler this week. Well, if I was if I was the promoter, I would have had her and Ronda Rousey, two MMA champions, and um, you know, go at it. Same with um, Lashley, Lashley and Lesnar. Yeah, to me that made sense. So uh, sometimes I just think they're so busy with the comedy, the shtick that they don't see the money. See, I honestly think they're holding on to Lesnar Lashley. Like I was saying, don't waste too much time in this COVID era. It's like, don't put that on. Like, okay, Tessa Blanchard, right? Free agent. If they signed her now. If you put her against Charlotte Flair in a pay-per-view with no one in the audience, this is a waste of everyone's time. Right? You got to have 80,000 fans going crazy. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's like, don't use all your bullets and let's hope we get out of this COVID era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're right at the end of the hour here. Um, I want you to be able to promote your uh, show and, and anything else that you'd like to say is coming up or if you have any big guests that are going to be on your show. Thank you. All right, thank you. It's been an honor to be on your show. Thank you again to give me this opportunity. Monty Nefaro could be seen on the Facebook Monty Nefaro page, Facebook, uh, YouTube Monty Nefaro page, uh, Twitch Monty Nefaro page, Channel 115 at on Tuesdays from 8.30 to 9 p.m. and Channel 115 on Saturday mornings from 6 to 6.30 a.m., Channel 20 at 1.30 in the morning on Friday and on RTF Sports Network, their anchor show every Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. And then they have a replay on Monday. We have enough. We just got done uh, going to go on social media with the Virgil interview. Everybody remembers Virgil. And on Thursday, we have Just Incredible in studio. So we'll be doing an interview with that ECW legend. Um, Monty Nefaro, uh 
also is looking to sign one more deal with uh, Sirius Radio. So we're working on that right now. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about our show. Great. I just want to give a shout out to uh, Jimmy Farrell and Bart Griggs. Let's talk. You know, we could disagree on stuff and still be friends like uh, me and Mike, right? Absolutely. I know Jimmy and Bart, are, they consider you a friend. They're big fans. It's funny in this whole radio wrestling things. Sometimes, uh, you know, we, we get upset with each other, obviously, and we're passionate and there's nothing wrong with passion. But we always got to remember, too, right? Life is short and we're friends and you never forget you never forget who gets you somewhere or does things for you and who's been a true friend. And I could say, uh, Evan, you're a true friend to the show, to me and Jimmy. And uh, we just thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, since your uh, cohort this way, we'd love to interview him on the show one of these days in the future. I don't, I don't know if you're ready for that, man. That could be, that could be a crazy show. <laughs> get, ready, get, get ready not to talk because that guy is a plethora of information, man. That's what, that's, what, uh, that's what Evan said about you. So you said, <laughs> you know, I'm not nearly the talent that Jimmy Farrow was. Trust me. I'm the guy who just like this is a straight man. Jimmy Farrow is a true talent, just like you and Evan. You guys are true talent. So I'm just the guy in the in the corner. Well, it looks like your, your dog is telling us it's time to wrap things up. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Okay, thanks. And thanks. We'll see everyone next week. Thanks for being on the show. Bye bye, everybody.